This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. That's Dagan, that's Eric, that's Matt, and a little bit of, uh, how, what was it, house cleaning or something from the last episode. You might have wondered, you know, why did Matt walk in 45 minutes late to something he knew was on the calendar? Well, I will just tell you, the reason why he showed up late was not because he's a, he's a weird person or he's a bad person or he's a bad adult it's because he was being a good husband because his wife was off on a a girls weekend you know where they're doing some things hanging out like talking about whatever you know chick stuff spending your money (laughs) spending spending money and doing all that and so he in order to be a good husband he wanted to make sure that she did not feel rushed coming home on sunday so the girls that she was with they all went to church that morning they went to lunch they took their time getting home once they got home uh, you know, once she got home, he made sure the kids were all settled and good to go and squared away. So I forgot to mention that last time. So can we just give Matt a round of applause <laughs> for being the best husband I out of all of us? God, you're such a big deal, Matt. Gosh, I just feel so. Oh man, I so I, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah I feel so you. weak in your presence. But here's what we're gonna do, guys. We're digging into Psalm 34 today, and I just gotta tell you right from the jump, that is my favorite psalm. When I think about the Psalms, that is the one that jumps out to me. And it might have my favorite verse in the entirety of the Old Testament, okay? And we'll get there. But to set the the stage for Psalm 34, so I guess the title of it is Taste and See That the Lord is Good, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So what this is referring to, so Abimelech, that's very likely an alternative name for Akish, which is the king of Gath, okay? So Akish or Akesh. So uh, those are all kind of the same things. Uh, Everyone basically agrees that king of Gath, Akish, and Abimelech, Abimelech are the same person. And what this is referring to is a story in 1 Samuel Samuel 21 verses 10 through 15, where King David, right, he feigned being crazy, like that he was a madman, that he was losing his mind, you know, fumbling out the mouth. And in this story, he feared the king of Gath more than he feared God. That's why he did this. It was all an act, you know, it was it was to basically save his life. And the interesting thing about that is he did this whole charade before Abimelech in Gath, which is the hometown of one Goliath, right? So this is after he had hit Goliath in the face with a rock and then took Goliath's own sword and chopped his head off and held it up and showed it to everybody. This is in Goliath's hometown, right? So imagine killing the, the, everyone's favorite son of a particular hometown, and now you're in that hometown. Okay, so I'm not saying, obviously, I'm not co-signing what he did before the king and basically lying via fiat, but this was a very important thing, and this kind of gives you an interest as to kind of why he did that. But at the time of the writing of the 34th Psalm, David is living in a cave. He's hiding. He's being chased. Uh, His men are with him, so we we think there's about 400 of his own soldiers uh, that are there with him, so he's not alone. But gosh, this, this psalm is just dripping with fear. And uh, just you, you can feel the situation that he's in. But at the same time, the theme of Psalm 34 is thanksgiving for God's protection for those who trust him. And really, the foundation of, of the psalm is that. But again, we know this in light of what he did before Abimelech. Again, thanksgiving for God's protection for those who trust him. He didn't trust him. 
which leads us to where we get this psalm here. So I just want to read the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of go out from there. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So a few things are so much there in those first three verses, but the very first thing is he's predeciding that he will bless the Lord. I'm a big fan of predecision. Like you don't decide in the moment whether or not you're going to throw your hand in your pants and, and you look at porn. Like you predecide that you're not a person that does that. So he predecides that he's going to bless the Lord. But then also in verse two, he's boasting in the Lord and not anything that he's doing. Right. So, you know, he's going to boast in the Lord. So that's a big thing for a lot of guys. And then in the third thing, worship is contagious. So, oh, magnify the Lord with me again in a cave with 400 of his other guys that would give up their life to save his life. So again, I feel like I've, I've taken too much time because I'm so giddy and excited to talk about mm-hmm. the 34 Psalm, but anything in terms of foundational work on the 34 Psalm that y'all would want to add or hopping into the first three verses, ready, set, go. Yeah. I was just gonna say, you know, David really didn't have much to boast about. I mean, he was acting like a madman, like a crazy guy. So, uh, there's that. And, um, I, I was just thinking like w- when we were going through this, uh, just several weeks ago in our Sunday school class, we were talking about the, the word Ebenezer. And it looks to me like, uh, th- and so just so you know what Ebenezer is, it, it's 1 Samuel 7 is when it, it kind of comes up. And it, w- what it is, is it's taking something to kind of help remind you of something that God has done. So maybe a rock or, or whatever, build an altar. It's something that then anytime you see it or, or walk by it or whatever, you can be, you know, you've, children are like, well, what is that? You know, you have something you can tell them. So it's a reminder of what God has done. So one of the things that, that David's doing is he is being reminded of what God did for him. Um, and of course, then saying, I have nothing to boast about except my Lord. Yeah. I, I, I think of Paul and Silas like in prison and they're in prison and they've probably been beaten, right? Paul's a citizen and he's in a Roman prison and not in a great spot. They probably aren't real comfortable, but they, so they have to go from that place of discomfort and I'm beaten and I, and I'm not in a, I'm not in a place where I feel like I want to worship. So they have, so they sing, right. And it kind of transitions them into this place where they can kind of restore and, and get focused back on God's goodness for them. And, and, and I see the, the first couple verses of this maybe even David doing the same kind of a thing, right? Mm. Like he's almost convincing himself, you know, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. It's almost like, like, like where you are like having to build yourself up and build your spirit up to a place where you're ready to actually make those things true. Well, and he's with his, his buddies too, the guys that are fighting for him. He said, let the humble hear of it and be glad. You know, so all those guys are kind of in humble circumstances, not in their, not in their homes. Mm-hmm. They're not sitting by their fire. You know, they're, they're hanging out in a, probably a dark, damp cave. Yeah. I think one of the things that's cool about the, the Davidic Psalms, um, and I don't know if you guys talked about this last time, but like he's this messianic figure, right? And he's the king of, of Israel. And it's, it's, these Psalms are like, a, they're his experience, but they're also an invitation to all of Israel on how to worship God. And so as the king of Israel goes, so does, so does God's people. And it's, it's so interesting that, he, you know, it's magnify the Lord with me. Like, let us exalt his name. And like, this is an invitation not only to himself, but to all the people of Israel. And then, and then obviously later, that is Jesus 
you know, inviting us to walk with him as well. And so like the Psalms of, that David writes, they're just, uh, they're just so fun to sit in and think of, and not, I mean, not all of them because, you know, he's going through some really rough times, but yeah. it's really cool to think about all the things that he went through and the Lord was still there, even though he did some, I mean, <laughs> told the king he was crazy. Like that's dumb. Well, and saying, saying the Lord will still be there again, obviously, even at this time, they didn't have the language for the Trinity, you know, God, the father, the son, the Holy spirit. Again, the prophecies were pointing towards a savior, but they didn't know how he would come. They thought he was going to be a conquering hero, but I got to be honest, all the times that I've read Psalm 34, again, this is my favorite of the 150 Psalms. I never caught the meaning of verse seven, never once. So verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That, that great. And then I went to commentaries from people that apparently can read. And those people were basically like what, what most of these people said, again, this is not, you know, universal agreement in the theology world, but that was pointing to the presence of the pre-incarnate Jesus, that this is an old Testament appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus. Cause I'd heard before that, okay, pre-incarnate Jesus was at like Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know, mm-hmm. there's other places in the old mm-hmm. Testament that people have said, but I was like, wait a minute. Like, Jesus is there, like the Godhead, I guess you could say, all of it is there in this moment with David. Again, David, Jesus comes from his line. Mm -hmm. So doesn't that make sense? But again, that's kind of weird that you keep going down David's line and you get Jesus, but but Jesus is already there pre-incarnate. So I don't know if you guys, you guys all seem smarter than me, so I don't know if y'all like knew that before, but when I read that, it absolutely blew my mind when I was reading the commentary. That's something that is a theme throughout a lot of the Old Testament. The Old Testament just pours out salvation and grace and patience from the Lord. From, from Genesis 3, like the salvation message is all over the place. And it, like it's one word, but it's really important. It's the angel of the Lord. Like there's a lot of times when an angel of the Lord an angel, or they name the angel, but the angel of the Lord. And you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. It, it talks about God is in heaven raining fire down while God is also standing next to Abraham. And so it's like, you can miss that. So you can, you can, so you easily. can yeah, you, you definitely can. But yeah, it, it is very cool to see Jesus is being preached from the beginning to the end of the Bible. And he's right there standing next to David. And we have another appearance later, uh, later on that, oh, I, I guess we can go and get there now since we're kind of making that point, but jump into verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. So this is a prophecy of Jesus. So we see in John, you know, 1936, um, to describe basically the, the crucifixion of Jesus. And in John 1936 is basically like none of his bones were broken. But it, the thing is, is you could even read that. And if you have a very limited understanding of the histor- historical precedent of that, the majority, my understanding, the majority of the Roman people or the people that Rome crucified, they broke their legs right. because they didn't want them to be sitting out all day suffering to, to a degree. With. It's like, exactly. And it wasn't because they were compassionate. It was because let's get this over with. So you broke their legs so that their body would sink down more so that they would finally, you know, be suffocated to death. And so the fact that Jesus, because again, they didn't think Jesus was any different. This is just another day, Right. Another Roman day, we're going to throw three people up on these crosses and then we're going to go set up the next ones, right? But they didn't break his legs and it doesn't make any sense why. Yeah. It, it, until you go here right. and it's just like, well, that's what was prophesied. Like right. it would have gone against the prophecy and the will of the Lord if his bones had been broken. And so again, just the, the whole mind-blowing thing, whenever you, when you look at the lineage of David, and we talked about earlier, like David, a murderer, a rapist, 
Like this is the man who's from line, from his line comes the savior of the entire universe, right? Like that's a huge deal. I was uh, preparing for this and uh, came across Luke 24, 44, words of Jesus. He said to them, this is what I told you while I sat or why I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of, the Mo- of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then I, a wonderful quote. I, I cannot remember who said this. I'm sorry, but I'm going to read it anyways. It says, the Psalms are full of Christ. There is a more complete picture of him in Psalms than in the Gospels. The Gospel tells us that he went to the mountain to pray, but the Psalms give us his prayer. The Gospels tell us that he was crucified, but the Psalms tell us what went on in his own heart during the crucifixion. The Gospel tells us he went back to heaven, but the Psalms begin where the Gospels leave off and show us Christ seated in heaven. I just think that's beautiful. That's amazing. And, and the Psalms of David are, I mean, they're obviously just full of the picture of Christ and what Christ has done for us and what Christ will do uh, for his people and the prophetic language that's used. And I, I agree. That's just such a powerful visual. Well, isn't it part of the problem? Cause again, I didn't grow up in church. And so like my boys are going to grow up with a, a wildly better understanding of just the old Testament stories. Cause I didn't know who Jonah and the whale was like, I knew about, you know, Noah's Ark because that's kind of a culturally significant thing. I didn't know about any of these other old Testament stories and all, all these different things, but that that's where I think you get a problem where you have these pastors like an Andy Stanley who thinks we should unhitch the old Testament from the new Testament. When you have these movements of Gnosticism or any things where, where it's like, okay, you know, or Marcionism where it's like the old Testament, that's not really applicable there. There's a new order. There's a new covenant. We don't really need to, to look at that. But look at what you just said, uh, like, you know, Eric, like what, what you're talking about when it comes to, you're seeing Jesus in the gospels pointing back to Jesus in the Psalms. That was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years before what we're saying. And it, it goes right to what you're saying, Matt, go ahead. Oh, Jesus is everywhere. Like Jesus is the ark. This book is about him. Jesus, right? All of it. Like Jesus is the ark. Jesus saves his people. How, how many doors are, were on the ark? Only one. Jesus says, I am the door. There's only one door. and it's it, like when you understand that, like you, you start to see where Jesus is literally everywhere. And if you understand that he's the ark, he's the way to salvation, like it changes how you look at the Bible. And right. so that's just really cool to think about. And then towards the middle of Psalm 34, again, this is where we get the, the name of the psalm. Again, the name of the psalm is taste and see that the Lord is good. So verse eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then I want to say verse 10, but oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Again, going back to the point we were just talking about, if you go to 1 Peter 2, 3, you get direct reference in 1 Peter 2, 3, and now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I guess my argument, I don't want to get into a big deal about people that just dismiss the Old Testament because it's kind of foolish, but to these people that think the Old Testament has nothing it can teach us, you have to ask, like, what is the foundation of everything? So when you, when you say, hey, the foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus, yes, in the most simple sense, yes. But why were we even looking for a Savior? Mm-hmm. Where do we get that idea? Where, where do we get the idea that we need that, that there is some sort of a sacrificial system that God has to have, you know, there needs to be propitiation, you know, a debt, you know, this is a payment that satisfies. Like, where do we get that idea? We get that and we're able to look 
at the things that happen in the New Testament because we're looking through the lens of what is foretold in the Old Testament. And so, O taste and see that the Lord is good. This was spoken, again, hundreds of years before Peter said it, before Peter wrote it down. But it's enough of a, of a message to the people that are going to read his letter to point back to it. Yes. It's a big deal. Right, right. I was just thinking, of like, what a shame if you went to, I don't know what the, where the listeners are, the nicest restaurant in their area. Imagine going to that nicest restaurant, ordering the, the, the best plate, maybe it's the lobster, I don't know. And then they bring it out and you just sat, you sit there and look at it. You, that's all. You just look at it. And you have them take it away. I mean, what a shame that would be. And, and so we see here just real practically that Jesus is meant to be experienced, right? So when we take that first bite of food and, woo, it's going down and mm, I can't wait to have another way for you. It's like it's going to be a Wagyu steak, you know? Or, oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hook it up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we are meant to experience the Lord and not just to know about him, but to experience him. So oh, to you, oh go ahead, Diggin. Oh, I thought you said something. Sorry. I, to taste. To you should taste. say something. You're getting too comfortable over there listening to all these guys, <laughs> all these veterans. You're hopping stuff. in next. So get ready. After Matt's so, done, like, you have to say when, stuff. Like verse eight is my favorite verse of this psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's talking about affectionately and thoroughly considering. And it's like to your point about food, you don't just take a bite of that food either. You eat the whole thing. Like you taste all of it and you we're, we're to thoroughly consider God's goodness through our experience and the experience of others. And so again, I, David here is saying, like, experience that with me. Pursue God with me. And what better sense than taste is there to, to point out? Like, you, you don't just look at it. Right. You got to eat it. Or, you know, I'm even just thinking like, sometimes people will be like, hey, I ate at this restaurant last night and this is what I had. And they start describing it and I can literally feel myself start to salivate. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I want to get out there and have that right now. It's that same thing. Like you said, taste and see with me. So, I, I mean, I want to go try that restaurant out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and I, yes. I feel like, you know, that we have lots of different types or, or, or Christians at different depths, right? We have Christians that, hey, they will go to the restaurant but they're not going to order anything. But like, hey, this is, this is what it means for me to be a Christian is I am in the presence of this amazing meal. And then there are Christians that go a step further than that and they sit down and they order the food, right? And then a step beyond that is, hey, I'm not going to take a bite, but I'm going to plant my face an inch from this steak and I'm just going to smell it, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the taste and don't swallow, right? Like I'm going to put it in my mouth, but, and I'm going to taste it. And I'm, it's like all of these different levels of enjoyment, but really at the end of it, like that food is meant to nourish your body. Like the experience can be wonderful, but it has to go through all of those things to ultimately give you nourishment. And it's like that it's, it's, Hey, don't, don't go to church on Sunday and then have God have, have the, the God's word not be an active part of your week in your home. Right. Like that's, that's just showing up at the restaurant and spending the rest of the time. That's actually, that's actually just tripped something in my brain. That's a really, really good point. There's a difference between consuming the word and letting the word nourish you. Mm. Right. And so, cause I remember the first time someone said something like this, it was Matt Chandler. He did a sermon series and he goes, Hey, do you guys realize how much of a blessing taste buds are? Mm. I was like, where's he going with this? He's like, when you take that bite of medium rare filet, like it tastes like something. And that brings you pleasure and, and happiness. Like God didn't have to do that. Nope. 
right? And, and even if you're like, you know, uh, a humanist and you think we're all just highly evolved chimps that, you know, used to be fish and then used to be stardust or whatever, like taste doesn't have to do anything for you because you should just know instinctively, I'm an animal that needs nourishment and this is where I'm going to get the nourishment from, from this plant or from the liver of this animal or something like that. But when, when you're drinking, you know, a single malt Isla scotch or, or that Wagyu steak or that whatever you're into, like th- that is a gift that you're receiving it in that way which makes the nourishment almost moot because you're enjoying it so much. The same thing with like sex, your sexual organs don't have to give you pleasure in order for you to procreate, but God gave you the pleasure centers and the nerve endings to make that a pleasurable experience. Not so that again, if you're a Darwinist to where it's like, well, you, you want to keep coming back to do that so you can propagate the species. It's like, no, so that you will enjoy taste and see that the Lord is good. So I think that's a really good thing. Cause as you're reading the Bible, you know, and I've, I've been very open about it on this podcast. I've, I've gone years where I don't read the Bible at all, right? Oh, I'm doing other stuff or I'm busy or any of those types of things. So it's one thing just to get to the table to read it. But then when you're reading just to eat versus reading to where it will nourish you, like, dude, that's like being marinated in the scripture. You know what I mean? Like it's a completely different ballgame. We used to live in North Carolina. I remember my my granddad and Meemaw wanted to come out and see us. So they lived in Brady, Texas. I mean, smack dab in the middle of Texas. So they had to travel, of course, east to get to us. And so they took a couple of days to get there. But when they showed up, of course, they were worn out and tired. It was a long trip, travel trip. And, and we asked them, of course, well, how was your trip? You know, what'd you do on the way? Because you took your time. And granddad was like, yeah, you know, we stopped here, stopped here. And we, and we went to Dollywood and then, and then came on from there. And I mean, right when he said that and started to pass, pass by it, my, my mima just went with her elbow right into his, his side. And she was like, we didn't go to Dollywood. We drove to the parking lot of Dollywood and took a picture and then kept driving. I was like, I was like, granddad, not cool. Well, you know, so he said, been there, done that. But all he did was take the picture. They didn't right. experience it. You it's know? like, oh, I've been to, I've been in Atlanta. It's like, no, you've been to the Atlanta airport. That's right. Like exactly. you, you haven't like hung out with people from Atlanta, but I remember even just, so, so there's a couple stories that I want to kind of go through. And I think I've said this before. Uh, taste is a very important thing, but when we take in too much artificial flavoring, it affects how we taste things. Mm. And so one of my favorites, Vody Bauckham was talking about strawberries and he was talking about this father that was walking mm. his son through a strawberry field or other fields or orchards. I don't, I don't know. So strawberry field. And so he's picking out these strawberries and little boys eating these, these fresh strawberries right off the vine or whatever they grow on. You can tell I'm not a farmer. And so <laughs> he's eating these and the boy is just overwhelmed at how sweet and delicious these strawberries are. But then after they leave there, over the years, his boy starts eating things that are artificially flavored to taste like strawberries. Strawberry Pop-Tarts, strawberry slushies, strawberry soda. And that's what his taste buds have kind of, you know, bent towards is this artificial flavoring. So much so that when the son started eating the actual strawberries again, they weren't sweet enough. Mm -hmm. And there's a corollary there to when people try to add stuff to the gospel Again, we talked about that a lot when we were in the book of Galatians. When you're trying to do gospel plus, yeah, gospel plus all this other stuff. Or when you have these churches that are so afraid of offending people by talking about their sin, when, when the understanding should be, you don't understand how, to, how sweet the strawberry is until you understand how depraved you are to even be offered such a strawberry as that is, is astonishing. And then you get to points in life where you're so desperate for the real thing. Uh, one of my favorite fighters, he's retired now, he's a commentator, his name's Paul Felder. 
and he was doing a, uh, he got a really short notice fight where he was like fighting a, a real killer like that weekend. I think it was uh, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos. I can't believe I remember that, but it, it was like four or five days out and he's wildly overweight at this point, but he's got to, you know, make weight so they can save this event. So, cause that's the main event, right? And he's literally killing himself, destroying his kidneys, sucking every amount of water out of his body, doing bass, doing cardio, all that. And his, I forget where he was. I think he was in Vegas, but his wife is back in Philadelphia and they're doing FaceTime or something like that. And he's like, babe, can you go to this YouTube channel? It's, it's this guy that's, he's, he's got this big cup and it's got like ice cubes in it. And he's, he's just opening up soda and like pouring it slowly over ice in slow motion. (laughs) And he meant it. He's like, babe, can you, can you please just, I just want to see the video. And cause that's where he was. He was in such desperate need of the real thing that he was willing to get an artificial thing that he knew instinctively he couldn't consume. But I feel like, again, that's a kind of a long way with Vody's story and then Paul Felder's story. Uh, for us, we get to these moments where we're absolutely drowning or, or we're absolutely completely sunken in. We need nourishment like we can't even fathom. And yet we keep going to the fake. We keep going to the artificial and, and we're not going back to the original. He's, he's not popping open a soda for himself, right? He's not actually going and getting the, the strawberries from the vine himself. And I feel like, you know, I feel like all of that is in this Psalm and all that's brought up to me because again, it's taste and see when we are always typically worried about seeing, right? right. Being seen mm-hmm. at church or seeing our eyes move across the pages. Yeah. Right. And I was thinking about the, just the dopamine re- response that we get the releases that we get with some of those things there are those artificial sweeteners and whatnot sometimes it's our phone we're looking at our phone and we just continue to scroll through right we're getting those dopamine kind of surges that keep us locked in we know that the uh the the brain literally physically changes in those in those uh over time when we continually focus on things like social media so that then the smaller things the, the things that instead of getting the dopamine surges, the things that should give us dopamine drips are less, less restored. They don't, they don't feel like they're enough, just like you were saying earlier. And so part of, the, part of just becoming restored and finding that restoration is sometimes it's getting rid of that artificial. Mm-hmm. You know, at one, it's artificial. It doesn't fully satisfy, you know, and, and two, you know, there, there is something better. And it may come in the small rhythms of the day, it may not come in big, huge bursts, but it certainly is much more satisfying. And, and I think John Eldridge speaks to, speaks to that. We just finished his study called Get Your Life Back. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's a fantastic study on just being able to recognize how you can get into a rhythm and stay in union with, with God. Right. So uh, this is a new guy question because I'm relatively new. Are you sponsored by McDonald's in any way? No. Okay. You I can just, say whatever I, you want to okay, say about good, McDonald's. Yeah. So like, we don't do McDonald's. I just wanted to be able That's to. That's a great segue. And sorry. I have no idea where this is <laughs> going. So I'm, just, I'm excited just I, like you guys. I are. didn't Let's want get to get it. a look across the table like, oh my gosh, he's bashing McDonald's. <laughs> um, like we don't do McDonald's, you know, yeah. um, we do Chick-fil-A. Chick, it's not that like fast food's fast food, right? But yeah. we, we, we do not do McDonald's. But the, the, the weakness comes in like on road trips. Like we go pick up the kids from camp. We're going on vacation somewhere and it's just quick and fast and they are everywhere. So that seems to be when we relent is we're tired, we're hungry. We need something fast and convenient. We get McDonald's, but I've never eaten at McDonald's. Maybe when I was a kid, but certainly the older I get, you know, and my constitution can't handle it. It's, I don't, I don't go through those McDonald's uh, drive-throughs and then eat everything and think, you know what? I'm glad I ate that. Yeah. It's a great know, decision. It's like, it's like, it's, it, it's the difference between 
um, you know, it's, there's a lot of calorie there, but there's no nourishment, right? Like I could eat a, I could eat a whole orange or a pinch of a donut and they're both calorie dense, but one is nourishing. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and to Eric's point, man, we just, I was it, I, I think it's Jim Gaffigan that has a joke that just correlates everything to McDonald's. You know, it's like everything's McDonald's. Oh, you, you play on apps all day. That's McDonald's. And it's like, <laughs> we are like McDonald'sing everything. And, and to your point, it's like, we, we have lost like the satisfaction of the nourishment because it's not satisfying. It just, it makes us full, but it also is regretful. Yeah. Well, with the donuts, you mentioned donuts. I mean, Jocko Willing calls those sugar-coated lies because it's like you're tricking your brain into something that you may get once a month or something like that. It was maybe honey or, or some natural like berry or something like that. It's like you can literally go and get a dozen of these things just for you. And there's, there's, there's no food in a donut that you realize, like there's no part of that, that your body's like, I can use that for energy. I can, I can run this marathon. Like, no, that is just mouth pleasure. Like that is just you getting in there. And like, and again, it goes back to the, you get the dopamine hit. And I go, I know on this, this show, I've talked a lot about, about mega churches and big churches and things like that. And And I've gotten more careful about describing just because your church has a huge parking lot with a lot of cars in it doesn't mean your church is unhealthy, but there are churches like that, that are very unhealthy. But that's my concern, and I call them spiritual skittles because it's like you go to this church, you see the rock show, you, you see the TED talk with a few Bible verses, and then you bounce. Before you leave the parking lot, what, whatever discipleship you've received has worn off, a la skittles. Like you eat those, they taste great. There is no value. Your body's just like, oh, we got to deal with this again. And they you know, blow it out at some point. But it's like that, that is what we do all the time with our spiritual journey because there's all these other things in our life that are more important. I've got my kids X, Y, Z. I've got my, Matt, you want to hop in here? Because I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, so go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, I think that before you said that, that that is the danger of where we live and, and making it to where it's easily consumable. It's, it's convenient. It's efficient. And Jesus talks about in, at the end of his sermon on the Mount, that there will be many people that say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. And we're going through Matthew in my Sunday school. And he, and he says, and he says, I will say to them, I never knew you. And he, before that talks about the, the gate is narrow that leads to life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And I think about the modern church in that sphere of, we have all these people who go in and they, they see this and they go, okay, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus got it. I'm good. Or Bethel, we are raising people from the dead or we are healing. God doesn't want anybody to be sick. He wants healing for everybody. I think those are the people that he's talking about. And it's because we've, we've said, I mean, like you're talking about gospel plus, or we're not getting the whole word, which is food. And we're, we're taking little bits and pieces out of it. And we're, we're having little samples. And when it talks about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, it's not a sampling. It is, it is all of it. All of this is spiritual food. And that is a danger of the modern church. And it, it really scares me. When it's almost like that, we'll go ahead, Browning. Yeah, no, I was going to say, and part of it is just tasting and seeing that he's good also assumes that you are realizing you're not good. You know, yeah. I think I don't remember where it was in the Bible, but in the gospel, some, you know, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that I had that same idea, you know, we're, 
we need to understand that we are not good. We're not good enough. There's nothing we can do to be good enough. There's only one that's good, and that's that's the one that we should be partaking of. Right, and there's the attitude of self-sufficiency that mm-hmm. runs through all that, which does segue us to, again, probably my favorite scripture in all of the Old Testament, and it's Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So I've got, you know, the first time, you know, shout out to Joel who designed our Undaunted Life logo and all that. He did that for free just to help us out way back in the day, back in like 2016. But whenever we did the lion head with Undaunted Life, that was the scripture. I put Psalm 34, 10. Like I've got all the original artwork and all the original renderings. And the reason is, is because there's so much in this verse, because what is more powerful and self-sufficient than a young lion? So young powerful lions at this time were roaming Palestine. Okay. So it is very likely that as he's writing this, hiding in a cave, there are lions around that they have to reckon with. And these young lions don't seem to want and hunger, right? Because they're young lions, they're growing, they're strong. There's nothing that can stop them from, from, you know, from eating or anything in that area. But this is even saying the young lions suffer want and hunger that even young, powerful creatures don't have at all. They can't fully satisfy themselves. They can't. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Not, you know, that they just don't lack. Or they have most of the stuff that they want. Like when I tell people about my childhood, it's like, you know, we didn't have all the money in the world, but I had everything I needed and almost everything I wanted, right? There were some some gaps, some things that I would have wanted. But the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So inherent there, there is lack but not good things. And that's I, I, the difference. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking like uh, Romans 12, nine and 10 came up and I, surprisingly I turned right to, it. I have no idea how that happened. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Is that in Romans or in second Corinthians? Second Corinthians. Okay. Yeah. So like, I guess that's the thing for me is because I'm so worried about the good things, but then when we make our own categories of what's good, Mm. then we're going to miss. We're absolutely going to miss because again, the young lions suffer. Again, I keep repeating it because even the young lions, even the most powerful, uh, most, most graceful, like most efficient killing animal possible can't possibly satisfy itself. And that young lion will not always be young. Right. And when you talk to these people that are, that are advanced in age, and they, they look back on their, their old days and they look back and they're so sad about their station in life because they're not that young lion anymore. And it's like, they're not worried about, oh, I should be worried about being a sage now and like passing on all my wisdom to the next generation. They're just lamenting that they're not the young lion anymore. Could it be that they've been focused on things that aren't good this entire time? I mean, I don't know about for you guys because I don't know anybody else who that's their favorite like Old Testament verse, but man, that's been, that's been a banger for me for five, six years. Yeah, I was, like, I was thinking of the... the, the the quote says, you know, live your, your life right the first time. And then when you're old, you'll get to enjoy it a second. Um, I mean, that, kind of what you're talking about, you know, it, we don't have to screw up half our life just so we can try to make up for it later on. I mean, you're right. We, when we become older, we may not be able to physically do what we could before, but we certainly have a lot more wisdom. Um, and there's something very valuable in that for the younger generation. For sure. The thing that sticks out to me in this is no good thing. It doesn't say thing that I want. And like you were saying, like we don't get to define what is good. God is a good father and he works all things to good for those who love him. 
but what's missing there is what I want. And so sometimes like the things that he gives us that are good or the things that are happen that happen to us that are good, we might look at that and go, Oh man, really? Man, I, I, I saw that exact same thing, but you know, right before that it's for those who seek the Lord. So that recalibrates what you consider good, right? The closer mm. you get to the Lord, the more it changes what you see and perceive as good, you know, and, and you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's not, you get what you want. It's get what is good. And it is good because you are seeking the Lord and he's changed your mind about what you're after. Absolutely. And I like, you were talking about the, the that's the, the rich young ruler who oh, yeah. says, you know, I'm good. Or it, Jesus says, who are you to say that I'm good? Like his point there was, you are not sufficient in yourself and you have, you, you say you do all these things and you've, you've, you follow the law and you've done all the right things. What do you have to do left give up everything and follow me? And that guy was like, no, I don't think so. I don't think I can, I don't think that I, I can do that. And so he traded what was good for something that he wanted because he just, he couldn't see money is not good. I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with money. Obviously don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, but like the point of Christ saying that to him was give up what you want or what you, what is your God? God is money and follow me. And that was good, but he, he didn't want that. So he wasn't seeking after the Lord, like Dagon was saying, and then he didn't receive what was good because he defined that in his own mind. Yeah. There, there's so much there that, I mean, that's the thing guys is when you start peeling back the layers on this, yes, you have your lived experience. You have the stuff that, that, you know, you've learned that you bring to the table, but that's the other thing about guys. When you spend time in the word, there will be things that stick out to you that don't stick out to anybody else. But then that also leads to the fact that you need to be in community with other men having these discussions. Again, I've been blown away by the emails and messages we're getting about guys starting their own forging table, right? That's awesome. Their, their own thing where they're getting together. Maybe they're doing the same, you know, Bible readings that we are. Maybe they're doing their own thing. But again, I, I think my way, right? That's why when I ask when it's your first time on the table, how does your, how does your brain work? Because that's a filter through which everyone should be listening to your commentary. Right. Oh, well, he quickly came to this decision. Oh, well, you know, he slowly came to this decision. Oh, this guy became a Christian as an adult. Like this is going to kind of tinge, you know, he was 35 before he ever thought about things and the, the ethereal or, or the divine or something like that. But that's why when you can come to something like this, how many of you guys have read through Psalm 34 before and just passed right through verse 10? Because yeah, it's a good line, but yeah. it's, I mean, is it fundamentally different than the previous one? Verse nine, oh, fear the Lord, you, his saints, for those who fear have, or fear him have no lack. But I think the important thing about this is going back to verse nine a little bit. Those who fear him have no lack. We live in an era where we do not fear God at all. God is a genie. God mm. is a convenience maker. God is uh, the guy that he's, he's the cosmic killjoy to some people. And, you know, there's a great book by Maddie Montgomery uh, called Scary God. And Maddie Montgomery, you know, he used to lead one of the, with the best Christian metal bands of all time for today. But he wrote this book, Scary God. But the thing is, is like people think scary. They think, you know, Scream. They think, you know, Friday the 13th. They think Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street. And it's like, no, this is, we're talking about actual fear. Not someone who can just kill, kill you, right? Not someone that can just kill someone that you love. We're talking about if you do not align yourself with the all judgmental and all loving God, you don't have a future after this life regardless of whether you believe that or not, whether you believe that when you die, it's just lights off and you go back into the ground and, and you become a butterfly or whatever the thing is that you believe. 
Like, if you're not aligned with God, if you don't have a proper understanding of who God is and what he is about, it's a very big problem, which goes back to some of the churches that kind of do this gospel light type style. It's like, you're talking about Jesus like he's your homeboy. You're talking about God as if he's just, again, that's why I get so fed up with these worship songs that treat God as if he's just this cutesy wootsy, you know, a uh, little deity or that this Jesus guy is just so, I just want to embrace him and kiss him on his nose. Like, no, like that is the God of the universe. Have some respect. Like imagine somebody coming into your home, a stranger, and they disrespected your wife. Like, or your mother, maybe that, maybe that's another thing. Like it's your mother meemaw. or your meemaw or yeah. your peepaw or your whatever that people call their, their, their grandparents. But imagine someone coming in and like, you don't have to physically assault that person. You just say, Hey, have some respect. I remember there was a crew that I was running with right out of college and some of the kids were still in high school. And there was this one kid, he, he was kind of a knucklehead. We're all in the kitchen hanging out. His mom comes walking in. He calls his mom by her first name. And you could have heard a pin drop in the entire county. And there are three guys or these three brothers that were all way bigger than me. And we all surround this kid. And we literally were just like, if we ever hear you talk to your mother that way again, all he did was call her by her first name, her Christian name. It's like, we're going to have massive problems. Don't you ever do that again. But Jesus is our homeboy. You know, God is just this part in the song that we sing. You know, we, we don't have any reverence for God. We certainly don't fear. Him. I, I would agree. There is, there is a lack of reverence and there is, and I think that's why most of the Psalms or a lot of the Psalms start with like magnifying the Lord and like blessing the Lord and like speaking to his reverence. And you're right. Like you, there has to be some respect and you know, this, this I watered down gospel that you're talking about, like that talks about and one of the things they do is they talk about God is he's, he's this like psychotic, angry God in the old Testament and the new Testament. He's this lovey dovey teddy bear guy. And it's like, man, that's, that's not the case at all. Just look at, let's just look at Genesis three. Like he says, don't eat that fruit on that day. You will surely die. And then they eat the fruit and he's like, I love you so much. I'm so patient with you. I have this whole plan of redemption. That's going to carry out through you. I could just, kill you yeah. but i am merciful and full of grace and patient and like god is god and he's the same all the way throughout well is isn't that like raising kids right it's like hey don't eat the fruit oh okay i guess we'll do it the hard way you know it's <laughs> yeah. like it's like he knew that we we're going to do that you know and i think i i would and we had a previous house and my little girl she was probably two kind of walking up to turn the light switch on and it was, it was one of those, like, it was a different light switch. It's like, didn't come with the house or something. And, um, you know, it was like a, a cartoon character. And as she walked up to it, she went and touched it. And it like, I guess, and it was my fault. I guess I had screwed it in too tight and it kind of cracked it a little bit. Mm. And as soon as she touched it, it like the, the little protective plate fell off the light switch. And so she kind of looked at it and I was like, oh, that's okay. And, um, and then she started to reach up for that light switch. And all of a sudden it's like, I mean, she thought I would have gone, lost my mind, yeah. like run to her, grab her arm and move her. Right. Because I, I have a fear of the power of the electricity, right? Like we have all of these wires and cables and stuff running through our home and our kids are running around and it's all safe because, because we respect it and we actually put it inside the walls where we don't have to touch it. Right. But it's like, that's, that's the same with God. It's like, he is a 
He is a powerful, the most powerful. And you have to respect it. And it is that fear of what he is and who he is that, you know, is, is that plate between us and, and, you know, literally life and death. Yeah, he does want a relationship with us. But like even the, even the Bible, it talks about, you know, his relationship with us is, his coming, is him coming down. And he is the God of the universe. And it, I mean, the, the one time... The human race was like, I'm going to go up to God. He was like, all right, cool. Y'all are scattered. Y'all are going to speak different languages because I don't want you so prideful. But it is God coming down to relate with us and not the other way around. And I think, yes, God wants a relationship with us, but it's on his terms and it's not us and anything that we do and us going towards the heavens. It is him coming down and revealing himself to us through his word and through his son. And I like, so reverence should, I think should always be on our, on our minds. Well, and he's, he's still just, that's the other thing is like, we, we get to these moments where it's like, oh, God's being mean. It's like, no, he's being just it's like that. You're, you're not supposed to like that, but what were you going to say? Eric? No, I, yeah. just real quick. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, the fear of the Lord is, then should be the, the catalyst to removing fear of man. <clears throat> when we learn to f- place our fear in the right, the right spot then we shouldn't have to fear anyone else because we understand just as you guys have all said that God can literally do anything he wants. That means he can protect you. That means he can take out your enemies. That means anything. Um, and, 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 and then couple that with his love for you. And I, it's like a, it's an easy home run. Yeah, if if you go make friends with the biggest bully at school, you're not scared of bully number two, bully number three. You're right. It's just like, hey, I'm rolling with with like the biggest, baddest dude here. You're still, it's still healthy to be fearful of him and what he can do to you. But like, like that, that's exactly right. Like, I, hey, hey, you don't, you, you don't know the power of the person that I'm afraid of. Like, I, you guys are nothing to me. What is it when C.S. Lewis and Chronicles of Narnia, when I forget which book it is, but it's like, you know, they're talking about Aslan, the lion, who is the God figure in that story. And it's like, oh, is he, you know, well, I, I forget. I'm messing it up. I think up, it's the magician's nephew. I think it's the magician's nephew when they first, when they first, is he good or is he, is he dangerous? And I think is what he says. Yes, but he's good. Right. And so yeah. that's the difference. And that's, you know, something we talked about when, you know, what does the word meek mean? It doesn't mean that you're completely safe, otherwise known as harmless, otherwise known as worthless. It's no, you, you know how to be violent. You know how to be the lion, but no one gets to see that unless it's necessary. And so I don't know this because I'm the only one at the table without a daughter, but that's one thing when I hear pastors like, like Mark Driscoll or anybody else talk about this to where it's like, your sons will see the line in you more because they've got the line in them a little bit. Your daughter should only see the lion when you're protecting them. Mm. And that's kind of that difference is like, you don't show the line to your daughter. Like that is not the proper right ordering. Like she should see the lamb at all times, but she should know that the lion is present. That if something were to go down, my father will intercede for me mm-hmm. to protect me. And I think that, that, that's a really, really big deal. But it also goes back, because again, we have to remember, where does, what is the scaffolding underneath which this psalm hangs? And it's, you know, he's before the king of Gath, and he's, he's pretending to be mad and pretending to be crazy. And what he does is very deceitful. And I'm somebody that I cannot stand deceit. So some people call it lying. Some people call it, you know, some people say every sin is, is theft. So if you lie to someone, you're stealing the truth mm-hmm. from them. You know, it's, it's that type of thing. 
but it's deceit. It's letting someone believe one thing when you know very well at that moment the opposite is true or there is some other actual capital T truth happening, which makes verse 13 of Psalm 34 very, very interesting to me. They really, really stuck out as I was reading it. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. So the first time I read this as I was preparing for this episode, I just highlighted that because that just stuck out. Like it just, it's not like the verses around it. It didn't, didn't really make sense while that was there. That was before I learned like, you know, about his, you know, performance before Abimelech and how that attached to first Samuel 21 verses 10 through 15. But man, that that's a big deal for us because all of us at this table at our age, we can get by with lying because we're good at it. We've had our entire lives to be deceitful and we've practiced lying with little children, right? Because you're going to say like, oh, you know, I'm not lying to my kid. I'm just, you know, not giving them the full truth. It's like, no, you're telling them a fat guy flies through the sky in a red suit and comes down your chimney and puts presents under the tree. Right. I'm not going to kill Santa on this podcast. We'll save that for another one. But it's (laughs) like, you just should probably be a disclaimer on this one. (laughs) Sorry, if you're listening with your kids, you know, (laughs) you know what you signed up with. You know, you've been rolling with me for this long, but it's like we practice deceit in our everyday life. We show people a different version of ourselves than we actually are. We describe ourselves to people in a different way than is actually true. We lie to ourselves. That's kind of like the end of this, you know, macabre Mm, rainbow. mm. It's like we start lying to ourselves and then we're starting to get high on our own farts at some point. It's like, oh, I actually am this awesome person that doesn't make mistakes. Mm. Oh, I actually am this person that has it going in business or has, you know, all these things squared away. And I think that this is a good reminder that in his struggle, in his lament, it's a reminder Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, all the while knowing what he did before the king, basically because he was scared. So he's basically preaching the gospel to himself here. Yeah. And and my point is we should be preaching to the gospel to ourselves daily. And he's literally saying, keep your tongue from evil. Don't do this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. There's examples in the Bible. I think the New Testament acts. It's it's Ananias and Sapphira who they lie about like some piece of land that who cares and God just kills him right on the spot. And here, here's David who lies and God, God sees fit to not instantly judge him and kill him. And so he is considered righteous by the Lord, but not because he's righteous because God sees him as righteous because God is merciful. So even in this psalm, we, we see the gospel being preached and David preaching it to himself. And I think that is something that we should be doing on a daily basis. Well, you know, David is super sensitive to this, you know, because it could be one of those things where he gets away with something. You know, in, in this case, he's like, gosh, I just, <laughs> God could have totally taken me out. He did not. He's very merciful. But he could have gotten away with it and then the next time been like, well, I got away with it last time. I guess I'll do it again, you know? And I think that's how, that's just human nature, right? We will yeah. test the waters. Uh, if we get away with it and nothing bad happens, we'd be like, yeah, maybe I can do it again, you know? And we maybe take a little bit further, a little bit further. But, but David is clear here. He's very sensitive to the fact that he knows that he did something wrong. He's preaching the gospel to himself. He's singing this song to his men helping them also to understand that was not right. Um, He's repenting. Yes, don't do this. I, I think when, you, when you're talking about the gospel and how the gospel has through points throughout the Old Testament, 
literally, I mean, y'all saw my page in all my notes here before we got going. Like there's not a whole lot of space left for me to write stuff on my page with Psalm 34. But as y'all were talking probably about 30 minutes ago, I read Psalm 34 verse 22, the very last verse of the Psalm. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Mm. That's the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, it reminds me of Romans 8, 1. Yeah. Right. So, but again, like it's easy to see the gospel in the new Testament because you know, the people that were writing that saw a risen Jesus or were interviewing people that saw a risen Jesus. Again, there's no reason why Christianity should have survived the first century in Rome. There's no reason for it. Right. So historically you may not believe in Jesus as a risen savior, but you have to say that that's, that's pretty odd that something like that happened. But again, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And again, we know the story, but we take refuge in a lot of other stuff. In this community that we live in, a lot of people take refuge in their money. Mm-hmm. The, the amount of things they put up in their storehouses, you know, just this morning, uh, our, our pastor is, is going through the book of James, you know, a few verses at a time. And it's talking, he talked about, you know, building a bigger storehouse for the grains. And it's like, hey man, you're going to die. Like, what are you doing all this for? So we, we take a lot of refuge in that. Um, there was something I saw recently. I'm going to get the details messed up, but I posted it on our Instagram a while back. And it was this man that they found that was buried, wow. you know, a thousand or so years ago, buried with all of his treasure, gold, rubies, jewels, like all kinds of stuff. He was buried with it, but he's still super dead, right? <laughs> super dead. Like he's super duper dead. That's not his gold. That's whoever found it. Now it's the, you know, the property of that municipality or that, that museum or whoever did the excavation in the dig or something like that. But we take refuge in so many other things. Some of us are really, really smart, right? Notice how I didn't say me. Some of us are really, really smart and they will take <laughs> refuge in that because no matter what happens in life, they can figure it out. Why? Because they have a high IQ because they, you know, got a 34 on the ACT because, you know, they were a national merit scholar because they were this side or the other thing. We take refuge in our abilities, right? Maybe you're an athlete. You've been an athlete your entire life. You'd never had to try so hard because you were so athletic and you were so gifted in that way. But again, even in the Old Testament, we get down to this. That is a ringing bullhorn now of this is a picture of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking Million Dollar Baby. Remember that movie came yeah. out? Yeah. I mean, what, what did she, she tied her identity to boxing. And then when, when that was taken away, I remember she was like telling her coach, take me out. You know, I'm, I just want to die. I have nothing left to live for. And, and the reality is, is that we are at some point going to not be able to stand up underneath whatever we were taking refuge mm. in, you know, and most likely the money's going to be fleeting or our physical capabilities are going to wane. You know, we, we may not be able to remember things like we used to. I mean, uh, what, a, what a tragedy if you build on that shifting sand. Well, I think talking about identity, it's so important to have an identity in Christ and who does Christ say you are and who does God say you are. And it's not this, like, shed off the skin to become who you are truly destined to be. It's the God who is just looks on me a sinner and sees me clothed in Christ's righteousness. That's who I am. And if my identity is in that, like, like it says in verse 22, like the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him, who is my identity in? It is in Christ. And I I was there like, I, I was really good at soccer and that was my identity. And when I, 
I, I was so wrapped up in that, that that's all I could see. And I went through this period where I stopped playing and I considered myself worthless because my identity was so wrapped up in my ability to kick a ball that even if you're really good, Cristiano Ronaldo still playing at 38, still only 38. He's not going to be playing mm-hmm. until he's 50. Mm-hmm. And if that's where your identity is, man, that's a sad way to live. I mean, think about the Olympians. You know, these, some of these guys are peaking at 18, yeah. 16, 22. Now what? Yeah. They've, they've literally won gold how many times? Yeah. And now what? Well, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to say, like, uh, Eric, Eric Liddell, like, one of, one of my favorite stories is Eric Liddell. I mean, a, a, an amazing runner. Weird, weird-looking running gait. Like, no one would say, try to run like him. But he was really good at running. But he, his, his identity was so grounded in Christ that he was, gonna, he was to be a missionary. And there's a, there's a story where his sister gets mad at him. Hey, you're supposed to go overseas and be a missionary. And he says, I will get to that because that is where my identity is. But when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And there's this like dichotomy of, uh, yes, I, I, was, I was made to run but that's not where my identity is. How cool is it that he knew that from a very early age and was able to, and was able to still have that thought like, I'm an Olympic athlete, right? but that's not my identity. Well, and our identity is tied to where we take refuge, right? Right, it's exactly Because right. I'm reminded of the story of Deion Sanders. This was after uh, when it was one of the, the Cowboys Super Bowls that they won or something like that. So it was the, the pinnacle, right? I, I believe it was, with, was it maybe when the 49ers, doesn't matter. So Deion Sanders' team just won the, the Super Bowl. He gets back to the hotel and he realizes this is the peak of my athletic life. He had, he, you know, again, he was very talented athlete, played professional baseball at the same time as playing professional football, just an absolutely gifted human being. But the pinnacle of his entire life, his identity was being a Super Bowl champion. And he got to the Super Bowl, won, and that was it. He was never more depressed. I've heard the same thing about tennis champions. They win Wimbledon and they're like, is this it? Like I, excuse me, I've worked my entire life to get to this exact moment. I've sacrificed friendships, relationships, money, my body to get here. Think about, you know, you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Argentina. They just, they win the world cup, right? Lionel Messi has won every team and individual award you could possibly win. Tom Brady just, uh, you know, retired from, from football again this year. The most successful he's being talked about in the same way that Michael Jordan's talked about, right? It all ends. And then it's like, well, my identity was my, my super accurate deep ball. My identity was scoring off of, you know, uh, free kicks. My identity was being able to shut down the best wide receiver on the other team. But they were taking refuge in that, and they realized it's all gone. And this, I guess as the story goes, as Deion Sanders actually in that moment, you know, got on his knees in the hotel room and, and asked Christ into his, into his life. And, you know, you can judge whether or not the, the fruit's there and whether or not that actually happened. That doesn't really matter. It goes back to the eventual story. We all have a story like that. Mm. Now, there weren't typically tens of millions of people watching us as our story was playing out on television, but we all have that story, the thing we take uh, in, in our identity. Like, you know, I'm the podcast guy. You're the business guy. You're, you know, you're the person taking care of people's bodies. You know, you're the person running a business or you're the person that had all this athletic ability. It always comes back to where is your identity and where are you going to take refuge? Because if it's not in Christ, again, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. 
That is your only shot. Never missing a PK. That's not it. Mm-mm. Right? Like That's you know, a penalty kick. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a penalty kick for all you Americans <laughs> out there that actually like real sports. Sorry, Matt. But like, like that's, that's not it. Uh, your ability to hit all your quarterly earnings goals, your ability to never miss a sales quota, none of that. You don't take refuge in that Mm-mm. because you will be condemned if that's where you take your refuge. Guys, again, this is my favorite Psalm. Thank you guys for being a part of this. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to discuss this with you. There are certainly more there, but we're going to go ahead to leave it there for now. But guys, come back next Sunday. We're, we're going to be digging into Dagon's favorite Psalm, which is Psalm 40. So guys, make sure you read Psalm 40 so that you can be prepared for next week. And before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So the only link I've got for you is a link to our donation page. Guys, that is how we're able to pull off things like the forging table. We have guys on a monthly basis giving us money that are supporting the content that we're creating here so that we can continue to get it to guys around the globe. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.